2: Now, there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, a glass of water on the side. I finished the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars If you're with the mob, I say, Hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us.
0: For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.
1: We have a State of the Union coming from Joe Biden. That is going to be appointment television. You know we'll be all over it here. Well, tonight I'm going to give you what I think the State of the Union should be. All that and more coming up next on I'm Right. Joe Biden is going to give a State of the Union address. This, you know what's crazy about this? Before I get into it, because what I'm about to do is give you what I think the State of the Union should be. What are the big issues tackling this country? If we had a real president, what they would be talking about. But before I get to any of that, I want you to think about this. And I'm going to bring this up several times between now and the actual State of the Union. The world is going to be watching this. I make this point to you a lot, but remember this. You know the Cuban Missile Crisis, that whole thing, Soviet Union putting nuclear weapons in Cuba, aimed at America, all that stuff. Do you know why the Soviet Union chose to put nuclear missiles in Cuba? Because John F. Kennedy, a very young, newly elected president, had one meeting with Khrushchev. They met, shook hands, talked for a little bit, and Khrushchev walked out of that meeting and thought, That guy's soft. That guy's pillow soft. Send missiles to Cuba. He won't do anything about it. Now, he turned out to be wrong, but that's what he thought. The world watches the American president. Bad people across the world watch the American president, and they base their next move based on how the president looks based on how the president talks. What do you think they're going to think when they see... uh, I don't, I, don't I, I guess, I'm not sure what, what do you think they're going to think when the president of the United States of America gets up to the podium and starts talking like that? So, I know we don't have a real president right now, so I'm going to give you what the State of the Union should be. Issue number one. Number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, actually, is the situation on the border. Why is this such a big situation? Well, it's not only the, quote, kids in cages, although that's obviously not a great situation at all. The situation on the border is bad because, well, it's bad now, and the politicians in charge have wrapped themselves in so much open borders. I'm going to be nice to immigrants rhetoric. It's not going to solve itself. There's no way to solve it think about this. Think about this. What actually brings people to our border? It's not all the security we have or don't have. Don't get me wrong. We need lots of security. That matters a lot. But the one thing that really brings people to the border is this, talking. Politicians like Joe Biden, like his idiot press secretary, getting up behind the microphone and saying things like, look at how kind we are to all the immigrants. We're so nice. Free healthcare, free school, we're going to be nice. We're very, very nice. Well, like I said, the world's always watching. These people down there in South and Central America are turning on the TV and saying to themselves, honey, get the kids, we're heading to America. Looks like we get free healthcare up there. And they're not changing that rhetoric. They're not changing that rhetoric. And so not only is the problem bad, the problem has no end in sight. There's no end because nobody has a plan they can politically put into place. Even our head of the the Department of Homeland Security is out there talking about, well, we're very nice to these people. We have to be very, very nice. Well, we have to be nice to these people. And these people are coming into our communities. They're not all down on the border. No nation on the planet has the facilities to handle an influx of 100,000 people a month. They simply do not, or 100,000 plus, I should say. You just No nation has that. So what happens? You're getting them in, and then you're getting them in, and then you're getting them in, and you're looking around, and oh, well, that cell's full and this cell's full and now they're starting to ship them places, right? You've seen stuff all over the news. They're shipping them to this convention center and this stadium. And then, of course, now we have word about horrible human rights abuses happening at these places, which, of course, there would be when you have a massive influx of people who you haven't properly processed and assessed and they've come from all over the place and you're looking around and you're stuffing this person with that person and you don't... See what I mean? It's really, really bad. And from there... They're getting released into the public. And I want you to understand, this is not some conspiracy theory whack job stuff. This is a fact. They're dropping these people off at hotels, at bus stops. Remember they made that announcement recently? Some people now, they used to at least drop them off with a court date, which over 90% of them don't show up for so none of that really mattered. But some people now aren't even getting a court date. It's just, all right, off the bus, uh... We'll try to get back to you. I'm sure you'll still be at this little motel about a year from now, when we come and try to find you for your court date. They're now here. They're now here, and they're gobbling up finite resources that are meant for you and meant for me. Those are our resources. We're Americans. And look, The Media Research Center, look at this. Crossings are up in 2021, 170 percent Five percent in the first quarter. It's not going away. What's the second issue I would talk about? This honestly, I guess it could have been the first one because it might be the biggest one in the end, the absolute rotting out of the American military. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin gets in there, and I'm sure on Joe Biden's orders, promptly announces a stand down to dig into white supremacy and extremism in the forces. And look, I, I have a lot of people, they write me things like that, and they, they want to know, how do I see this manifesting itself? What are they going to do? Are they going to start kicking out Republicans and stuff like that? It, it's, it's not necessarily going to be that. Not yet. I could see it being that one day. But here's how this works right now you do this stand down, you're combating extremism, so on and so forth. How does, it, how does it look going forward? Well, here's how it looks going forward. Young man, 17, 18 years old, walks in the Army recruiting office or Marine Corps if he's a really good young man. Anyway, walks in the recruiting office, recruiter meets him, shakes his hand, talks to him. At some point during the process when he's figuring out if he wants to join, decide he wants to join, military recruiter gets on his phone. Let's check out your Facebook page. Oh, ooh. That's, man, that's you posing with a, with a MAGA hat on and a don't tread on me flag. Do you, do you have an explanation for this? Maybe he gets shooed away. Maybe he feels like he's not welcome, but he goes away. That's one of the ways it manifests itself. The second way is, and this is real. This is what I'm hearing all the time. The second way it manifests itself is the good people get out and the turds stay. I I just don't have a better way to put it. You should see the emails and mostly it's private text messages from the buddies I have that are still in. The guys you want in. Maybe not all the time the most polite and cuddly individuals you've ever met in your life, but the guys you want with the gun standing in front of you when the enemy hordes are coming your way, they're saying, Kelly, I'm done with this, man. I'm done. I'm done. These are guys with opportunities in the civilian world, really nice opportunities to make money, but men who enjoy the camaraderie and the sense of duty, and I'll get to that one day. I'm going to finish out. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to train the next guys. I can't tell you how many have reached out to me and said, Jesse, I'm out, man. I'm I'm not dealing with it. I'm not dealing with it anymore. And so what's happening? You have qualified, brave, young 17- and 18-year-olds who they're not going to join, or they flat out get told not to come and then you have your experienced, hard-charging war fighters who are in there, you need them to both lead the way and to train the next generation, and they're, they're saying, I'm gone. So what do you really have? Well, it doesn't take long, and all you have is a military full of turds, full of, full of leftist turds, and that's it. They look around at their unit, and they don't think this is what we have to do to get deadlier, we should run more, we should shoot more, we should do this. They look around and say to themselves, do we have enough gay people? I think we need more black people. Are the, are the women, are, do the women feel welcome here? Well, that's not how you make a military, which actually brings me to the third point in my state of the union, China. <sighs> I don't want to use Germany, Nazi Germany, because that gets so overdone. Leftists have officially ruined that word. Everybody's a Nazi and everything's Hitler and Germany and whatnot. But I will just say this. Historically, the history of the world shows you there are bad, bad people running powerful empires. They are extremely ambitious. They are hungry for more and eventually they are going to move. You know what? We might as well just go ahead and use it since I brought it up uncomfortably anyway. Remember, in 1930, Hitler was just some guy getting Time Man of the Year awards and saying some hateful, awful stuff, but he wasn't the monster we know him as today. It's not bad and it's not deadly until it is. China, they're watching. You think they're not watching this military stand down stuff? You think they're not watching our weakness that we project everywhere? Look at this look at this exchange between a Chinese official and Anthony Blinken and tell me, do these look like people who are scared of us?
0: So for China it was necessary that we make our position clear.
1: So let me say
0: here that in front of the Chinese side, the United States does not have the qualification to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength.
1: Don't talk to me from a position of strength because you're not in a position of strength. Ooh, does that sound like the big bad wolf out there? Is intimidated by the United States of America. And what are we doing right now to make sure they are? What are they doing? Well, they're aggressively cyber attacking us all the time. We are every other day catching actual Chinese spies, both in our universities and driving around our senators from California, Dianne Feinstein. Remember that? We have a Chinese spy getting awfully close with Congressman Eric Swalwell, who's on the House Intelligence Committee. They're already here. They're aggressive. And they think we are weak and pathetic. Which brings me to another problem. And this is a very, very, very big problem. I've said before, and I'll get to this at the end about the education system being the biggest thing the American communists have taken over. But the second biggest thing is our corporations. There was a time in this country where, I mean, obviously you're always going to have big companies that are hated by smaller companies or hated by this or hated by that. And oftentimes big, powerful companies in America, they're run by guys who are kind of sociopaths. That's normally the kind of guy who runs companies like that. It happens. But they were always proud Americans. They were always proud Americans. Our biggest, most powerful companies now they hate this place. Remember recently, over 100 companies joined together on a big call to decide exactly what steps they were going to take to punish any state that passed a law requiring people to have an ID to vote. That is such an unbelievably forward, bold step. And yet that's where we are as a nation that's where we are our richest most powerful most influential companies out there they are staunchly against you they are staunchly against me they are active they're not passive about it that's what we must understand it's not as if the head of pick your company who's doing this is a a hardcore leftist democrat who sits at home at night and complains to his wife about those evil republicans But when he goes to work, it's all about profits and things like that. No, 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 they're out in front of it. Now, here's a list of the things we're going to do to you if you make people show an ID to vote. This is a terrible, terrible situation in the United States of America and Americans to their credit instinctively know it. Seventy three percent of Americans are dissatisfied with the influence of major corporations. 42% are very dissatisfied. Good. I'm glad they know it. Which brings me again to my final point. Where did all those CEOs of all those major companies, where did they learn that hatred of the country that has made them all wealthy? Where did they learn that? Well, in America's government schools, in America's elite universities. You see Today's leftist hardcore CEO, today's hardcore leftist senator, they went to American universities, oftentimes the elite of the elite American universities, where they learned their country sucks. It's an evil, racist, sexist, horrible place that deserves to be brought to its knees. And so now they're in these corporate boardrooms and they're doing everything in their power to try to make that happen. That's just the truth of it. And it's not only at the university level anymore. They are active. They are active very early, teaching your children and my children that the country where they are blessed to live is actually a terrible place. Here's a math teacher in Manhattan, Paul Rossi's his name. This is a direct quote from him. Quote, My school, like so many others, induces students via shame and and, uh, sophistry I don't even know how to say that word to identify primarily with their race before their individual identities are fully formed. Students are pressured to conform their opinions to those broadly associated with their race and gender and to minimize or dismiss individual experiences that don't match those assumptions. The morally compromised status of oppressor is assigned to one group of students based on their immutable characteristics. In the meantime, dependency, resentment, and moral superiority are cultivated in students considered oppressed. That's Paul discussing critical race theory, critical race theory, which does not just exist in some wingnut New York or L.A. school, critical race theory, which is now in the curriculum of well over 3,000 schools in the United States of America. Have you talked to your school board? Have you talked to your teachers? What are your children learning in school? might want to pay attention that is the jesse kelly state of the union all that may have made you uncomfortable but i'm right your holster is way more important than you think it is it's just way more important than you think it is what look and i get that the holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms right You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWretention.com. That's NWretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. Now, speaking of making people uncomfortable, when you have somebody in your life who dips tobacco or smokes and you want them to stop, I am going to give you some advice as someone who dipped for a long, long, long time and loved it. It never moved me even that much when someone, friend, relative, pointed a finger at me and said, you have to quit. Why don't you quit? That's gross. Why don't you quit? That's bad for you. That doesn't help people in any way. That's not being helpful. That's being an obnoxious nag. All that means is we're not going to hang around with each other very often. If you want to actually help that person in your life, or yourself, if you're the one, get them some Jake's Mint Chew. No more nicotine. No more tobacco. It's even sugar-free. If you don't want the dip in your lip, they even have CBD pouches that really help take the edge off. Why don't you get them some Jake's Mint Chew? Help them out. Present a solution. Go to jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That's J-E-S-S-E. That'll get you 20% off. We'll be back. Get out of the urban areas of the United States of America. I, I know I've told you this before. And I understand it's easy for me to sit here and tell you, oh, just pack up and move. I, I've moved all over the country. I understand moving is one, a huge pain, two, can be very scary to people who haven't done it, three, not even a possibility for some of you. So if it's not possible, don't sweat it. If it's at all possible with your job situation, with your family situation, if you are in a major urban part of the United States of America, get out. Get out go to a place that shares your values. I have told you this story before. I've done it. I lived in Washington, D.C. for about a year, moved back there, and it was just awful. It was just awful. Everybody's so stinking rude, and you you can feel it around you. Nobody around me shares my values, or very few people do. And I packed up and moved the family across the country with no job just so I could live in some place that shares my cultural values. And I will tell you, it is the greatest decision I have ever made in my entire life. And the situation right now in America's cities, it's not about to get better. It's not, and I'm not a city hater. Remember, I'm, I'm a New York City freak. I love it, love it. I, I love the cities. I love the country. I love it all. I, I, I take joy from all of it. But the situation in American cities is so bad we are now moving from Democrat mayors to flat-out, full-on communist mayors. We're moving from, occasionally, some of these big cities will have a DA that's actually tough on crime, because yeah, we can go, do, go Democrat to an extent, but at least we want people to feel safe here. No, 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 no. We now have full-on cultural Marxist DAs who are setting criminals free, who are holding back police officers. And these people, they're aggressive. I, I, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm telling you this. You are in a place that does not allow you to lawfully defend yourself. In almost every one of the cases in these big cities, you're not allowed to lawfully defend yourself. And you are surrounded by mobs of communist street activists who are more than happy to bash your head in if given the chance. What's the latest and greatest? From our nation's capital? Oh here.
2: We don't need no cops. We, we don't need no cops.
1: it down. What are they talking about? They're talking about the police precinct, which is odd because this is a scene from Portland last night. Yes, that is a police precinct on fire. These people mean what they say. I think you and I, because we we like to be believers in the goodness of human nature, right? We we like to think about these protesters, these rioters, these nutjobs, and we think to themselves, oh, it's just... Just some college kid out having some fun on the weekend. He'll get over all that when he starts to grow up a little bit and earn a paycheck. That's not how these people think. These people don't think they're wrong. This isn't a weekend hobby. These people feel like it's their moral obligation to tear the American system to the ground. And there is zero indication, and I mean zero, that any of this in American cities is going to be reversing itself any time soon. So with that in mind, you have to look out for you and yours. It's not just that They don't want you to be able to protect yourself. We're already there. You're already at a place where it's a felony to own a firearm in many of these places. But we're rapidly approaching a place where even the police won't be able to defend themselves or you. Don't believe me? Here's the Brooklyn Center mayor. I don't believe that officers need to necessarily
2: uh, have weapons... uh... You know, uh, every time they they're they're making a, a traffic stop uh, or or engaged in uh, situations that don't necessarily call for uh, for weapons. We know that there are other many other jurisdictions, or even around the world, where uh, that is not you know necessarily the case. It's not needed.
1: Officers. Don't need weapons at a traffic stop? (laughs) Here's MSNBC's Jason Johnson.
2: I've been saying we need to abolish American policing as it currently exists, it doesn't work and and we don't seem to have this sort of difficulty when we're talking about any other government agency so nicole you know i i I teach my class of morgan state students before this we were having this discussion with a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds and i pointed out to them i said what's the graduation rate for high school kids in baltimore and the baltimore graduation rate is only about 80 percent. people are always screaming oh my gosh baltimore public schools are terrible they need to be taken over by the state they need to be taken over by the government only 80 percent of these kids graduate You know the average homicides that are actually solved by police departments, only about 35%. You know the number of rapes and sexual assaults that are solved by police departments, you know, less than 60%. You know the percentage likelihood of being shot unarmed as a black person is like five times as likely than a white person? Policing doesn't work the way we're doing it right now.
1: You think that's just some nut job on MSNBC? Oh, he's not alone. Here's Van Jones. There's a deeper problem, which is that the policing uh, 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 methodology that we have in the country right now is both dumb and dangerous and discriminatory.
2: It is dumb to have all these cops out here with all these weapons the tasers and pepper spray and batons and guns and dogs and drones, pulling people over for like little, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 your, your tail lights out. You're going to throw that much firepower against communities on stuff like that? Send them something in the mail. I mean, wh- why do we... For, so it's just dumb
1: to direct this much firepower. No other country does this. This 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 much armed personnel against such petty offenses, that's dumb. Huh? I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesse, it's just a couple talking heads on, on cable news. Here's elected Congressman Rashida Tlaib, quote, It wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing. No more policing. Incarceration and militarization. It can't be reformed. Oh, Jesse, it's just some idiot, idiot young congressman. Here's Barack and Michelle Obama. Maybe you've heard of them. Our hearts are heavy over yet another police shooting of a black man. Dante Wright at the hands of police. The fact that this could happen even as the city of Minneapolis is going through the trial of Derek Chauvin and reliving the heart-wrenching murder of George Floyd indicates not just how important it is to conduct a full and transparent investigation, but also how badly we need to reimagine policing and public safety in this country. I have more from other congressmen. I have stuff from Ben and Jerry's ice cream, but I'm not even going to go into it. I want you to understand something and hear me now. If you're in one of these major urban areas, I get the appeal. I love them too. I'm a foodie. I love to eat, as you can tell. I, I love a great concert. I love a cool club. I, 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 love, I love all the museums and opportunities a city like Washington, D.C. lets me go geek out at. I love it, man. I love it for all the reasons you love it, too. If you got a family there, get them out. Trust me on that. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. I, these stories from people, You're not safe online either. And you're definitely not safe if you have a home, if you own a home. Look, even huge companies with amazing anti-hacking tech like Facebook. Facebook just got hacked. If you have a home title, which you do if you own a home, it's online. If they can hack Facebook, how difficult do you think it is for them to hack your home title? Allow me to clue you in. It takes them less than 10 minutes to do it. Go get Home Title Lock now. They will shut it down so you don't get financially destroyed. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code RADIO that gets you 33 days of protection. We'll be back. Well, I like to give you as many experts as I possibly can on this show. And as you know, we've talked about the whole George Floyd thing a bunch. I haven't gone into the trial too much because it's a bunch of lawyers speak with experts and this lawyer saying this and this lawyer saying that. And I don't know what these people are talking about, but I know somebody who does. My friend, lawyer and publisher of Human Events, Will Chamberlain, Will, I I know you're just going to give me the straight scoop on this. How does this look? Everybody remembers the video. It looked terrible. Then more facts came out. Now we're not sure. How has the trial actually gone? Um, I would say
2: for the most part, the trial hasn't gone as well for the prosecution as they would have liked. Uh, In general, there's been difficulty getting their own expert witnesses on the same page, um, both in terms of whether or not Floyd's uh, Chauvin's use of force was justified throughout. I mean, they, all of them agree that it was objectively unreasonable, but they all pinpoint different points at which it became unreasonable, which can create doubt in the minds of the jury. And then secondly, in terms of establishing cause of death beyond a reasonable doubt, um, there's just a lot of different confounding factors uh, in terms of Floyd's heart condition and his, uh, the, the amount of fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system um and so we just had the defense witness come up and explain that he thinks it was a cardiac arrest unconnected to the restraint so um i think in general it's usually a lot easier for the prosecution in murder cases you have a very clear-cut cause of death um very clear-cut you know wrongful behavior and i think here it's it's proving to be a bit more challenging for the prosecution than they liked. so i think Right now, we're in the middle of cross-examination of uh, the defense's medical expert who says it was a heart attack. It's, It's a pretty pivotal moment, but I would say that things aren't going as well for the prosecution as they probably would have liked.
1: Well, to your first point about uh, they're 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 starting to agree. At least the prosecutions people were starting to agree that at some point it became unreasonable. we of course we're talking about Chauvin's knee on Floyd. Mm-hmm. What are they saying? What's the general consensus there? For the first minute it was reasonable. For the fifth minute it became unreasonable. What 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 are they agreeing on?
2: Well, so, I mean, they're just they're ultimately agreeing that I think all of them would probably agree that the knee on the neck was unreasonable. Um, But where it gets interesting is that they don't all agree that keeping Mr. Floyd in the prone position lying on his lying on his stomach was unreasonable. You had the academic expert uh, from Georgia State, who's actually a law professor, saying that's totally unreasonable. And the moment he was handcuffed, he should have been rolled onto his side. But the prosecution's other use of force expert, um, a guy who trains police at the police academy in in Los Angeles, uh, said that no, it was reasonable to put him on the ground prone, it was just unreasonable where uh, Chauvin's knee was placed. And so that's a really important point of tension because the medical experts uh, have established that they think that Floyd died of positional asphyxia primarily from being held prone on the ground on his back that would prevent your chest from expanding and from your breathing. And so if, if it's the prone position that caused the asphyxia, well then it's not clear that that was a wrongful act to put him in the prone positions. And there has to be some sort of linkage between the excessive force use and the cause of death.
1: Will, how does this work when when you're talking about experts, right? And of course, the prosecution has their experts and the defense has their experts. Don't they all just go out and find an expert that's going to say whatever they want to say and the jury has to decide who they're going to believe? Or did I way oversimplify that? No, you actually nailed it completely.
2: You were completely on point with that. Um, That's exactly what happens. Usually, both sides are able to find an expert witness that will support their perspective, especially if there's any sort of ambiguity. Um, And then the question will be what the jury believes. Oftentimes it's cross-examination that reveals that an expert's perspective is not particularly sound. And I think the weakest moment for the defense really was yesterday when they put their own use of force expert on the stand. And he had a really rough time of it. He tried to make a claim that the mere, that restraining uh, Floyd on the ground was not even a use of force, that it was merely a constraint. Um, But very quickly on a cross-examination that position of his just kind of unwound like he tried you know he tried to say well you know use of force is something that causes pain prosecution lawyer said well wouldn't holding somebody in this position with his back be painful he conceded yes it would and and therefore that it was a use of force so you know i think that was easily the weakest moment for for the defense in this case was their their own use of force expert getting cross-examined um and that's an example of an expert i don't think the jury will believe very much but and when it comes to this medical expert, I actually think he's doing, he did a much more thorough and robust job of explaining kind of all the different things going on with, with Mr. Floyd. Um, de, what he attempted to debunk positional asphyxia as a potential cause of death, suggested that recent studies into the matter, you know, really cast doubt on whether holding people in that prone position actually causes asphyxia um, and provided a pretty reasonable explanation of why it might be cardiac arrest.
1: Well, we hear from a lot of people that uh, the cop was overcharged. Derek Chauvin was overcharged. They overcharged him. Now, I'm asking your opinion now because I realize we were getting into the nitty-gritty of law stuff. Was he overcharged? Should he have been charged with more? Or should he not have been charged at all? What, 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 what are these charges?
2: I mean, I think, you know, in terms of evaluating the use of force, you know, to kind of figure out how culpable was Chauvin, I think the probably... At, at most it should have been a second degree manslaughter charge um, which is more about culpable negligence it seems pretty clear from the video that Chauvin was actively trying to get Floyd medical assistance, Had you know, they'd called the EMS to come in, they were clearly somewhat worried about the crowd that was observing them and so with that kind of mental state, I, I, I see in this negligence and, and potentially more, you know, criminal negligence as a result of the knee on the neck, but not the sort of awful horrifying behavior that justifies a third degree depraved heart murder charge to me that would be something like you know we saw those two girls in dc um carjack uh the pakistani uber driver and just drive off and end up killing him uh when he was flying out of the car and that to me that's that's the classic like third degree murder depraved heart type thing where the where the behavior is so beyond the pale that manslaughter doesn't effectively capture um how depraved it was um, and I don't think that's a, it, that's really an issue here. And so I think he was probably overcharged and the charge should have been second degree manslaughter, assuming they could prove everything else in terms of causation beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: Will Chamberlain, thank you so much for making us smarter, my brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time every single morning and I check my emails for the show and I'm filled with, with messages from people saying, what can we do? What can we do? I'm, I'm worried. Jesse, what can I do? There's something tangible you can do. You can join Mammoth Nation. Become a member of Mammoth Nation. You pay a fee. You become a member. That money, it doesn't just get flushed down the toilet somewhere. No, it's not going to me either. That money... It goes to people running for office. People who believe exactly what you and I believe. What do you get out of it? Because you don't just get a Mammoth Nation membership card. What do you get? You get great discounts at all kinds of stuff. Wireless, telehealth, shopping, travel, hotels. You get a laundry list of them. So there is a way for you to give back, a tangible way for you to do something while getting some benefits from it yourself. Join. Go to mammothnation.com slash jesse. That's mammothnation.com slash jesse. We'll be back. He's been on the show before. I'm not even going to bother setting it up because everybody's mouths are already watering because of the food pictures he puts up all over the internet. And I would highly recommend you go eat at Slapfish. He is the owner of it, Andrew Gruul. He is a chef that, well, I'm going to just sit down with him all day one day and eat everything the guy makes. First of all, chef, the grilled cheese thing. You have educated me on this on the radio before. I would like you to educate the audience on this. This grilling both sides of the bread. Where did you come up with this?
0: Well, every single food item that I analyze, if you will, I say, okay, what's the most flavorful part of this food item? And then how can we amplify that, double it, whatever you want to call it? So on a grilled cheese, the best part of a grilled cheese is that beautiful toasted bread, right? The butter soaks in, you get that toast, you get the crunch, you get the textures, all of that. Well, why not double it, right? And the thing we hate about a grilled cheese anyway is when it's too soggy and it won't hold up straight. So you toast both sides of the bread on the grilled cheese. It doesn't just give it flavor. It gives it architecture, as you can see here.
1: Is this something you should apply to every sandwich, or is this just grilled cheese? If you're grilling one, are you a grill both sides every time guy? I'm every single sandwich I'm grilling both sides okay uh lastly on the on the food stuff before we get on to this 86 struggle thing pizza this is a personal question i don't care if i'm the only one in the, in the world who has a question about it i have never once been able to pull off a decent homemade pizza the wife makes the dough we put our toppings on and every time you throw it in the crust sucks it's just it's either chewy or it's soggy it sucks every single time what am i doing wrong Well, it's the oven,
0: right? So pizza's all about the temperature of the oven, the circulation of the hot air. So what I suggest anybody who's a home cook to do is to make a dough that's yeastier, right? So almost look up a focaccia recipe, which is similar to a pizza-type bread, and actually bake it in a full pan. Don't go for the ring. Don't go for the toss. Don't go for the thin crust. Give yourself a nice, thick Sicilian square-style pizza because that's going to bake a lot better in a 400, 450-degree home oven.
1: Thank God you're the best. All right. You have also been on the forefront of a couple things that I've loved. You've been blasting away at the state of California where you reside for how much they've been crucifying small businesses and mainly restaurants. And you're all over this 86struggle.com. First of all, tell me about 86struggle.com. What are you doing? So it's a fund that we started,
0: uh, my wife and I, and really the only goal was to just give people a little bit of a lifeline, right? A bridge so that they didn't get too far into debt and then that could ruin you know, their future effectively, especially in California, because when they shut down the restaurant industry for the fifth or sixth time, who only knows, back in December, there was no money in unemployment, right? So they had all this fraud through the unemployment system and then they were also like, oh, everybody's also gonna lose their job and sorry, not going to do anything about it. So what we tried to do was to prop up the industry by raising funds, distributing those funds to restaurant workers, in some cases, restaurants themselves, so that everybody could at least just kind of stay above water. And we're continuing to do so because even though restaurants are opening up a little bit right now and there's a trickle that's coming in, people now have a lot of this retroactive debt that, are, that, that can bury them. Um, and it almost feels like that's the goal. So we want to make sure that we can take care of that Uh, by working with private businesses and local community members.
1: Chef, explain to me how, I mean, I understand how the large corporately owned ones can get by, just they have the capital and borrowing ability to do so. But a a family business, an independently owned restaurant, I know the profit margins are not 25% at these things. I'm friends with enough restaurant owners to know that. How are any of them still standing without your help? Well,
0: a lot of the restaurants right now that are mom-and-pop, independent-run restaurants, they're all working it as owner-operators. Now, that's also really interesting to bring up because the money that's coming from the government is pegged against the size of your payroll. So what's happened is is that a lot of these independent owner-operators have had to let their staff go. That's where we step in, and we can kind of provide unemployment benefits, if you will, to the staff. But then they get no government funds because they say, well, you have nobody on payroll, so you don't qualify. You see how this is broken?
1: It sounds it sounds terribly broken. How many of you been able to help so far? What kind of help have you have you been given out there?
0: Uh, let's see. So we've raised over well over four hundred thousand um, dollars. So you know we and we're we're disseminating the money in increments as small as like even one hundred fifty dollars in some cases. People are saying, "Hey, I don't need five hundred dollars. I just need one hundred fifty dollars to bridge my electricity or my rent." And then in some cases, we're giving out upwards of ten or fifteen thousand dollars to help a restaurant's employment staff. You know their their staff.
1: So all of them. Oh, I appreciate what you do. All right. Now, on a macro level, explain this to me. Uh, what does the restaurant industry look like I mean, even next year? Because if, if everybody turned the lights on tomorrow, which is not realistic, but if everybody said, okay, this lockdown stuff's idiotic, all the restaurants open back up, it, just go do your thing. Surely we've already lost more than we'll get back in decades, Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, one in every four restaurants have shut down nationally, but these spaces are now going to be filled with you know, larger multi-unit restaurants. So it could significantly change the face of, you know, small communities, main streets, where you did have all that kind of independent flair and flavor, and now that'll get replaced by larger multi-unit corporate restaurants. That's, that's what I think is going to happen across the restaurant space. But don't get me wrong. Look, you know, if you want to focus on some of the positive here, there are going to be opportunities. So if you're one of those people that sat on the sidelines and said, hey, the restaurant industry is too tough for me, now's the time to actually get in. I'm not trying to say we should stand on the backs of those who have perhaps failed, but now is the time to actually get in. And, um, you know, even if you are a restaurateur who did go under, you know, maybe take a second swing at the old tee.
1: Okay. I need some advice. You're obviously a guy who's done it and done it very well. Half the Internet has to be flocking to your restaurant. But what, are, what are, what's some advice you would give to somebody who's thought about starting one? Everyone walks into a restaurant, especially dudes, and says, I'd like to own my own one day, and then they're all bankrupt in two months. What's a big mistake somebody makes?
0: <laughs> and I've seen that story way too many times play out. Yeah, Keep it simple. Pick one item, right? Pick, that's it. Stick with one item and do that really, really well. If you don't have, you know if you don't have one item to kind of hang your hat on and you're just hanging your hat on ambiance or this kind of, you know, diversified menu, you're going to fail because there's no one specific thing that's making you stand out over the next guy. So let's say you make a great burger, what you do, I've seen it unbelievable burger, you know, so you want to open Jesse's burgers just talk about that burger. You don't need to do a tuna burger, a turkey burger, all this other crap. You don't need to set up, you know, a whole significant fry menu. Just do the burgers
1: and have a reason why you do it so well. I dig it. I dig it a lot. All right, Chef, explain this to me. I understand lobster. I'm not anti-lobster. I won't be painted as anti-lobster by you or anybody else, but Crab scallops easily in my opinion on par with lobster yet you see lobster everywhere you walk in a steakhouse it's lobster mac it's king it's all these things why doesn't crab get that love why don't scallops get that love scallops get no love scallops are outstanding
0: yeah i mean i think in terms of crabs uh we need to rebrand it right um because when you say crabs there's probably know, people good point think about, you know other things <laughs> and when it comes to <laughs> When it comes to scallops, uh, scallops, whatever you want to call them, I just don't think people understand them. But you are right. I mean, crab and scallops are probably – actually, I like them better than lobster. I'm not even a huge lobster fan. But, uh, you know, we just got to rebrand it. Maybe I'll take that on myself, and I'll give you a percentage of sales.
1: I'm right there behind you, Chef. I'm right there behind you. Chef Andrew Gruel, thank you so much for what you do. The website, again, is 86struggle.com. If you want to help out people who desperately need it right now, right now, he's out there doing it. Thank you, Chef. Thanks for having me on. I We're not done yet. We're going to pay homage to a legend. Hang on. I know what you're thinking every single night when you tune into I'm Right right here on the first. You're thinking to yourself, man, Jesse's the best. He could probably do anything he wants. And, and obviously, for the most part, that is true. Uh, so I know this is going to blow you away, but I actually am not very artistic at all. I can't draw. I can't sing. I can't dance. Even my handwriting is so bad, it's, it's not even legible. It's not even legible. And that's when I put in an effort, when I'm really, really trying to write really well. And that applies to music as well. So I've always admired musicians. And when I saw this video of the great Stevie Ray Vaughan popping a guitar string and not missing a beat in the middle of a solo, I knew I had to show you greatness. Download some more Stevie Ray Vaughan. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey, and I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go. Put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off.